Hey, church family, welcome to worship, or at least worship in a modified way as we all deal with the inclement weather in our area. Thank you for your flexibility. In fact, we made this decision a few days ago to make sure you had time to plan as a family. Your safety and the safety of our staff and our volunteers matter so much to us. And God has given us the gift of technology so you can play and be a part of and listen to this message at any point this weekend that works for you. We think the priority of God's people to worship to set aside time to focus on God's Word matters regardless of what we're dealing with. But there's nothing that says you can occasionally worship at home with your family. Some of you may have to work this weekend because of the nature of your profession. Others of you may find yourself without power, and if you are, you may be watching this message from God's Word via a smartphone. Wherever you are, we hope you're safe and sound, warm and well, and you certainly have our prayers and our love and our support, and we've been praying and will continue to pray that everyone within the Church at the Mill family farewell on this weekend of inclement weather. Before we begin into God's Word for a brief message in the book of Jeremiah, let me just remind you of three important items. First of all, even though you're tuning in for this unique uh, recording, uh, message, this broadcast, uh, you may be new to Church at the Mill. You may have found us. Perhaps your church could not have a service today, or you're looking for a church family, or perhaps you've been worshiping with us and you've not made a connection with us. Uh, no matter how you would define or describe yourself, we would love to make a connection with you. There is a way to do that. Now, obviously, a Connect card won't work this weekend, but our Connect cards are digital. You can go to our church website, churchatthemeal.com, or you can also go to our church app. It's a free download from the App Store, and fill out a Connect card, and that just helps us connect with you. One of our pastors will reach out, and we would love to know through that correspondence how we could pray for you or and your family. Secondly, this winter holds two opportunities to just edify two special groups of people. First and foremost, I want you, if you're a man, to get signed up for our Upstate Men's Conference. And if you love a man in your life, a husband or a father or a son, any man in and around our community, 16 years and older, is welcome to go online and to register and purchase your ticket for this event. It's Sunday night, January 30th. It's going to be a one-evening commitment. Uh, it's filling up, so don't wait. You've got some downtime this weekend. As long as you have access to Wi-Fi and data, go online and sign up at upstatemensconference.com. I want to see you there. I don't just want it to be an event for men. I want it to be the beginning of a movement. In fact, I've prepared a resource, a booklet that every participant, every person who attends is going to get. It's a part of the conference, and you will leave there, men, with a plan for your spiritual life going forward. Secondly, we love marriage. It is a gift of God. And we've been wanting for several years to have a marriage conference here on our campus. And this is the year. In fact, we could not be more excited for what's going to take place in our Matters of the Heart Marriage Conference at the end of the month of February. That's Friday, February 25th. 
and Saturday, February 26th, and then Dr. Nicholas Ellen and his beautiful wife who will be leading us, he will be preaching on Sunday, February the 27th. Again, we need couples to sign up. We don't want you to just assume there'll be room for you. We have plenty of room, but we want those sign-ups to help us know how to plan. You can do that. It's very affordable because it's on our campus. It's not an overnight retreat, which helps us bring the cost way down. We want you, no matter where you are in your marriage journey, we want you to be a part of this weekend. I know Laurel and I are really looking forward to it and are excited about what it's going to do in our marriage. There is no marriage in our church that is not in need of maintenance and encouragement, of strength and inspiration. And so we want you to join us for that. Now, Let's get into God's Word. If you have your copy of God's Word, I hope you do. If you need to hit pause and go find it, do that. If you pull it up on a device, if you have an app on your smartphone, uh, whether or not you have a printed copy, as I prefer, or a digital copy, I want you to find the book of Jeremiah. And when you find the book of Jeremiah, I want you to find the 51st chapter, Jeremiah 51. Today's pretty significant. Now, I know it's significant because this is a modified type service on a snow or ice weekend, but it's also significant because 75 weeks ago, we began the book of Jeremiah. And today, of all days, we finish it. I think it's appropriate that this dynamic, prophetic book end in a unique way, perhaps a memorable way for you and your life. And so today, I'd like to finish the book of Jeremiah by focusing generally on chapters 50 and 51, but more specifically in Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 15 through 19. And what do we want to do? Well, like, what, what do we want to accomplish? Here's what I want you to think about. Have you ever forgotten somebody? Maybe you forgot to pick up somebody. Maybe you're like me as a dad and you've forgotten to drop off a kid or to pick up a kid somewhere. I doubt that Laurel and I are the only church family associated with our community who've gotten halfway home from church and remembered, wait a minute, there's a kid on campus and have to turn right back around only to find our child playing while the volunteer or the children's pastor or someone in the kids' ministry lovingly and patiently waited on us to get our act together. We've all been forgotten, and we've all forgotten someone. Well, here's the deal. I don't want you to forget Jeremiah. I don't want this to have just been a year to a year and a half of our life where you learn some facts and you don't take it with you. I want you to take Jeremiah with you. And in the 51st chapter, specifically in verses 15 through verse 19, Jeremiah, in the midst of his prophetic delivery of judgment against Babylon, we'll talk about that in a moment, he gives us a beautiful outline for four truths about taking Jeremiah with us. I want you to remember why we went on this journey. Why did we go on this journey? Well, why do we need to hear from God? I told you there were some similarities between Jeremiah's day and the life that he lived and the life that we lived. I, I reminded you and have done so for many months that Jeremiah was called to prophesy against Judah who had turned its back on their God, the Lord God of Israel. And his prophetic message was that divine discipline was coming through, 
Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians who were going to march into Judah and more specifically into Jerusalem and destroy the city. And this actually happened historically, archaeologically, this can be proven. It happened in 586 B.C., just as Jeremiah said that it would happen, of course, proving again the validity of God's Word. But the very first sermon I ever shared with you from this book in August of 2020 I shared with you the reasons why Jeremiah prophesied and the reasons why we need a prophetic word from God. I don't know if you remember them. There were five. First of all, it had been a long time in Jeremiah's day since Judah had experienced a revival. That's true of our day as well. I've heard of revivals. I've read of revivals. But a true outpouring of the Spirit of God and a true turning back of a nation is something that every Christ follower longs for as we see what's going on around us. Secondly, society seemed to be crumbling. Jeremiah's day saw people questioning values that had always been held by the majority of the population. This could not be more true of our life. We're watching our society seem to crumble and experience moral decay in a moral revolution that is running in the opposite direction of God's truth for our lives. Third, we don't know what to do. Jeremiah lived in a day where people didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to turn. Fourth, we don't understand our past. Jeremiah's people didn't understand their past. In fact, a lot of his prophetic sermons that we've seen over these last 50 chapters have been him reminding the people of the God of their ancestors. And then finally, there were many who had said, there's probably no hope for the future. I find that today. I sense that there are many people wondering, what is the hope for the future of the world, for the future of our nation, more specifically for the future of our community, or even the future of our family. And so those parallels positioned us perfectly to need a prophetic word from God. If you have learned anything about the prophetic word of God, I hope you've learned that through powerful books like Jeremiah, God is still speaking. He is not silent. He is not distant. We are not irrelevant to him. He is still speaking, he is active, and he speaks so powerfully through what he spoke and inspired and through his divine intervention made sure it was preserved in the matchless Word of God. And therefore, we come to Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51. Now, in this series called Inescapable, we said a few weeks ago, the last portion of the book of Jeremiah are Jeremiah prophesying against the surrounding nations of Judah. Now, up until chapter 46, almost all of the prophecy was against Judah from God. But Judah was not alone in her wickedness, in her idolatry, in her rebellion against God. And Judah's not alone in being loved by God. In fact, one of the patterns we see in the Old Testament is that God did not choose the people of Israel, uh, the people of Judah. Uh, God did not choose the Hebrews, the Israelites, the chosen people. He did not choose them that they would hoard God or only have God to themselves. He chose them that they would make the name of God known to all the nations. This is why we see not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, the missionary character of 
our God. And so these other nations, many of which had heard of the Lord God, many of which had known of the other prophets and had known of the great works that God had done in men like Moses and Abraham's life, these other nations would be held accountable too. They would also be held accountable for the way in which they treated or came up against the people of God. And we saw that last week as we surveyed seven of the nations over a few chapters. But then the last three chapters of the book of Jeremiah do two things. Chapter 50 and 51 are prophetic words against Babylon. And chapter 52 is really a summary. It's almost an appendix of the entire book and the destruction of Jerusalem. In fact, it's very difficult to to not already understand most of chapter 52 if you've studied the book. It's really a summary, if you will, of everything that's taken place. But chapter 50 and 51 are interesting because what we have seen over and over again is that Jeremiah was saying the Babylonians are being used by God. It is God's will that Nebuchadnezzar Uh, prosper in war. It is God's will that the Babylonians overtake Judah because of Judah's sinful rejection of God, their idolatry, their moral rebellion. And so you'd begin to think through the book of Jeremiah that Jeremiah's pro-Babylonian. We know he loves his people, but he didn't hold anything back. He said, you're going to be held accountable for your sin. But that doesn't mean that Jeremiah saw the Babylonians as righteous at all. In fact, the last nation that God chooses to speak to is the nation of Babylon. And if you have time this weekend, and you probably do, read chapters 50 and 51 and see that just like Judah was going to fall, Babylon was going to fall. In fact, about 47 years after King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon fall to Cyrus of the Persians, never to rise from the ashes of destruction. I think this is important because we see nations rise and we see nations fall and we wonder, well, did God not have his favor on this people or was God not against those people? And yet through all of the timeline of history of nations and civilizations rising, of cultures becoming prominent and others becoming insignificant, we see the hand of God in all those things. And yet in the midst of chapter 50 and 51, we we find this poetic treatment of who God is. In fact, let me read Jeremiah 51 beginning in verse 15. It is he who made the earth by his power who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from the storehouses. Every man is stupid And without knowledge, every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. Jeremiah would go on to say, At the time there will punishment, they shall perish. Verse 19, we'll end with this passage. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. How do you 
take Jeremiah with you. If you're a part of Church of the Mill, you've heard at least dozens of sermons from the book of Jeremiah, even if you didn't catch them all. So how do you take this book with you? Well, I thought about it this way. What do we need to see every time we see Jeremiah's name? Every time we see this book when we flip through our Old Testament, every time we meet somebody who's named Jeremiah, what do we need to see about God through Jeremiah? How do we take this book with us? And so today, in this modified message, I want to give you four truths to take Jeremiah with you. Let's dive in. I'll lay them out. We'll apply them, pray, and we will have the opportunity to have studied God's Word through Jeremiah. Truth number one, when we see Jeremiah, we need to see God as the source of life. We need to see God as the very source of life. Now, I know that seems to be a very elementary statement, that God is the creator of all things. But, but if you think about it, when we rebel against God, when we create idols in our own heart, when we turn to our own desires, when we choose not to do his will, at the very core of that activity, we're choosing in that moment, whether or not we believe it or not, to deny him as the creator. In fact, look at verse 15 again. It is he, so Jeremiah is contrasting God with all the false gods of Babylon in this passage. It is he who made the earth by his power who established the world by his wisdom. In other words, this is not an accident. It was designed by the wisdom of God. This is why it's an amazing statement to say we're made in his image according to his wisdom. And by his understanding, he stretched out the heavens. This is not a hobby for God. This is not a happenstance for God. God used intentionality and power by his wisdom and understanding to design the heavens and the earth and everything that has life. Now, that's an amazingly powerful source of comfort. To think that you and I can speak with and pray to and know personally the God who is the creator and the source of all life. In fact, that personal connection made a profound impact on Jeremiah's life. Remember one of the first messages I preached from Jeremiah chapter 1, we saw in verse 5 of the first chapter where God is speaking to Jeremiah and he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God is saying, I made you, but even in making you, there was a time when before I made you exist spiritually, I, in my mind, knew you mentally, and I set you apart spiritually for my purposes. So I made you physically because in my mind, I knew you mentally, and in my spirit, I set you apart spiritually for my purposes. Now, think about this. I don't know if you've ever struggled with discouragement. If you have a pulse, you have. I don't know if you've ever questioned what you were doing with your life or, if we're being honest, what God is doing with our life. 
But just let that truth sink in for just a moment. If you have breath in your lungs, if you've been given the ability through sight, hearing, perhaps one or the other, to listen or watch this message, God knew of you before he created you. He created you according to his wisdom and his power and his understanding. And he created you with a designed purpose for your future. And none of that had anything to do with you or what you have or will do or accomplish in his name. What it does is it shrinks me in a good way and it blows the doors off my concept of the greatness of God. And that's what prophetic books do. What was Judah's problem? Judah had lost sight of the greatness of the one true living God who was the creator of all life. So you have problems and struggles and challenges. You may be facing some unique ones this weekend. We all know our nation does. Your family does. My family does. And those matter to God. But as I so often remind you, in a loving way of a pastor, I say to you, your problems pale in comparison to the greatness of the God of heaven. A God who has not only promised to provide for you, he provided for you the very existence that you're living in. The life in your body, the breath in your lungs, the beat in your heart. The electricity that runs through your own living organism, the system by which your heart beats as it needs to beat, on the second for your life to work, your cardiovascular system to give your organs fresh oxygenated blood from your pulmonary system, the synapses in your brain to fire, your optic nerve to watch the image of this screen and listen to this message uh, through the gift of hearing. All these things come because God has created you and he's created the world that you live in. There is none like him. There is none who can be compared to him. So every time you see the book of Jeremiah, I want you to see that God is the source of life. Two, when you see the book of Jeremiah, I want you to see God as sovereign over life. Look back at our text, beginning in verse 16. When he utters his voice, there is turmoil of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Think about that. So poetically, Jeremiah is saying, God didn't just create. He controls everything. And notice what Jeremiah chooses to focus on. The very thing that has caused you and I to have to connect via technology, weather. We have no control over the weather. Even though we have more technology and more knowledge than any civilization that has ever existed, you and I have had our lives, our weekends, our normal Sunday worship interrupted, postponed, canceled, changed, Move to being online because of something completely and totally out of our control, the weather. And God speaks, and the wind comes from his storehouses. What do you store in your storehouses? Lawnmowers, 
patio furniture, Christmas decorations. Yeah, I do too. I can move those things. I can box them up. I can discard what I don't need. I can unpack what I do need. But no man and no woman and no government and no civilization can store up the wind. We can build windmills and hope that the wind blows, but we don't store the wind. Our God is so in control, so sovereign, that even the weather is at his beck and call. Now, this is the message of Jeremiah, that the sovereign control of God will accomplish his purposes. And I want you to know, the way this connects to your life is that there's a direct relationship between seeing God as sovereign and having peace. Having peace. Our world does not have peace, but we can have peace. Peace in inclement weather, peace in a pandemic, peace in an incredibly divided political environment, peace in a world that seems to always experience what Jesus said, wars and rumors of wars. Peace when we don't know who to trust politically. Peace when we don't know who to look to at times spiritually. We can have peace in recognizing that even when I don't see, I have a God who not only sees, he is in complete and total control. So every time you see Jeremiah, I want you to see God as sovereign over life. Number three, every time you see Jeremiah, I want you to see that God's substitutes have no life. That God's substitutes have no life. What was sin number one that Judah was indicted over and punished for by God through the hand of the Babylonians? It was idolatry. It was the fact that Judah had turned its back on God and substituted the gods of the world for the God of heaven. This is picked up on when we see in verse 17 of chapter 51. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Now, I know that's not a very nice word. We don't encourage our children to use that word, but it is an accurate word. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith, now he mentions goldsmith not because he's picking on that trade. They were often the ones who designed the idols, the fake gods, the gods of the wicked, the gods that had been adopted by many of the Jews. He says, every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. So what can idols do? The only thing an idol can do is put you to shame because when you need a real God and they're not a God, the fact that they are not a God, that they're inanimate, that they don't speak, that they don't move, that they have no power puts you to shame because you're the one who has put your trust in a substitute for the true God. He goes on to say, for his images are false and there is no breath in them. There we get back to that. Why is God the source of life? Because God, of course, is alive. He has breath. He moves. He has power. He is a living being. He is true. He is real. He exists. Idols do not. Verse 18, they are worthless, a work of delusion. We've all seen magicians use delusion and deceit. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. So not only are they dead, they will be cast away. 
Now, what is idolatry in your life and in my life? We've talked about this many times. Idolatry is anything, any idea, any passion, any preoccupation, any person, any human relationship, any desire that takes the place of God as Lord in your life. I like to think about it this way. If someone had the ability to follow you around for a week, 10 days, a month, they're going to see your devotion to a lot of things. They're going to see many of you go to work and work hard. They're going to see you love and care for your spouse and your children and your grandchildren. They're going to see the things that you enjoy to do, the things that bring you great pleasure. And none of those things are in and of themselves sinful. In fact, almost all of them are gifts of a gracious God. But if someone were to watch your life, the rhythm and the pattern of your life, the way in which you spent your Sabbath, the way in which you invested your dollars, the way in which you spoke, the way in which you made decisions. Would they walk away from that, having never asked you a question, just walk away from observing your life and say to themselves or to anyone who may ask, that person above everything else is devoted to the Lord God. That person loves the Lord with all of their heart with all of their mind, and all of their soul. I'll tell you a great exercise. Anytime your heart becomes passionate about anything, more job, more money, a new job, a larger home, an accomplishment, the raising of a child, the pursuit of someone who you long to have a romantic relationship with, if you're single and looking to marry, anytime your heart becomes passionate and committed to something, always pour that through the filter of, is this becoming my idol? Am I finding my pleasure and my purpose in this more than I find my pleasure and my purpose in knowing and being known by the Lord God of heaven? Because what can happen is that when we begin to ever so subtly worship at the altar of the blessings of God and forget the blesser who is God, those blessings turn sour. They never fulfill. Superficial substitutes for sacred sanctification always end up disappointing us. They do because our heart is only designed to be fulfilled and joyful, to be on purpose and content when it is found in a right relationship with the one who made our heart in the first place. So remember, when you see Jeremiah, see that God's substitutes are not and do not have any life. Finally, as I close, when you see Jeremiah, I want you to see God's salvation as life. I want you to see God's salvation as life. You know, when Jesus came, he said, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. In him was life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The prophet here ends this way in verse 19. Not like these, those false idols, those false gods. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things. Jeremiah keeps going back to 
God being the creator. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. This covenant people that God is pursuing will inherit the goodness of God in their future. The Lord of hosts is his name. One of the messages in the current of Jeremiah is that in the midst of divine discipline, God is working to fulfill his covenant. What was his covenant? That the people would know him and that he would know them and that they would know and love him intimately. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, Jeremiah famously says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Referring to the destruction and fulfillment of the promise, the deliverance of a people, the bringing forth of a Messiah, salvation from God through, of course, the Lord Jesus. He says, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God has always pursued the heart of his people. You show me a woman or a man whose heart is devoted to the Lord. I'll show you a woman or a man who will see many things that they may find tempting, but they will not be satisfied with anything other than walking in the newness of life through the Lord God. And we know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Write these things on your heart. I hope the journey through Jeremiah has blessed you as much as it has blessed me. See him as a great God and creator. Trust him as a provider, a sustainer, a sovereign God in control. And acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. And then live accordingly. God bless you and God bless the preaching of his word.